Hello everybody and welcome back to another session of the Ghoul Guide Association, a show where we talk about all things gothic in history, pop culture and life in general. We, of course, are your Ghoul Guides. I am Lauren. And I'm Mary. And today, Dr. Mary Miss Gowen has got a very fun topic for us. Yeah, so recently I was watching a film um, and I didn't expect you know, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't go in thinking, oh, this is going to be about X. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, like, I know what this is. Um, Surprise! <laughs> yeah, so um, I want to talk to us about a, a person called Nicholas Flamel um, and also a little bit about alchemy. Oh, um, I'm excited. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like Nicholas Flamel is one of those people where a lot of people, especially our age, probably know that name mm-hmm. because of a very famous book series about a young wizard written by a turf who shall not be named. But, ruining childhood memories aside, Nicholas Flamel was a very important name in those books. Yeah, what I often find is that a lot of people don't realise that Nicholas Flamel is like one of these legendary historical figures. Um, a lot of people think that he he came from that, that you know, yeah. that certain fictional series and what I want to do with this episode is just to kind of talk about the history and yeah that you know why Nicholas Flamel is interesting. Exciting because alchemy is something we've touched on in a couple of episodes and we have some plans for some episodes coming up Mm. and we realized didn't we that actually it would be a really good idea to talk we'd already said oh we should talk about alchemy and Mm. then you told me that you'd watched this film and then I said stop speaking don't tell me anything else let's wait for the podcast (laughs) and also shout out to everyone we've just finished what last week or a few weeks ago we just finished um a course on gothic transformations Mm -hmm. in the 19th century uh where we looked at at mad science but we started a little bit talking about alchemy so if anyone from those classes are listening like hello and yeah um Yes, we did. We talked a little bit about Mary Shelley's transformations um, and, and Shelley was quite interested in shocker that the woman who wrote Frankenstein <laughs> was interested in alchemy. But yeah, it got, as Carrie Bradshaw would say, it got us to thinking. So tell me more about Nicholas Flamel. Yeah. So first of all, I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about the film just because, you know, this this is it came out in 2014 and it just I think it's really interesting that this kind of alchemical figure is is still like being used in this mm-hmm. way. So the film is called As Above, So Below, which you may or may not have heard of. I don't think it, I don't think it got that, that wide of a kind of release. It's really interesting. It's basically a found footage horror film and it mostly takes place in the catacombs of Paris. As it should do. Yes, and also just just a warning. There's going to be quite a lot of French in this entire episode. Oh God! And I <laughs> apologise for my pronunciation. Um, but yeah, so in this film, the the catacombs are are loosely um, represented as as being the the nine circles of hell. Yeah, and actually, it was genuinely shot in the catacombs of Paris. They had quite rarely, because you know the the authorities don't often let you know filmmakers or artists film in there but they did for this film so it is genuinely like the the, I mean some some of it is really terrifying but it's genuinely in such a beautifully terrifying place shall we say that is one of the places Mm. that I am desperate to go because I've never properly been to Paris yeah and I don't know they stopped doing the tours for a while so I hope they're Mm. open again because I really want to do the the catacombs because they look fucking terrifying yeah and if you want a taste of them watch this film as above so below it Mm -hmm. it really really gets into it um so basically along with a a kind of group of locals um who serve as like unofficial guides within the catacombs um the the main characters of this film are scarlet marlowe who is a young scholar and you might have to suspend your disbelief here when you when you hear about her academic career progression (laughs) it is I have to say probably the most unbelievable aspect of this film Uh, (laughs) can I just say what is it about stuff about alchemy because this was my exact thing about discovery of witches she's a historian of alchemy and when the first thing I thought the fucking book about witches and demons and vampires and the most unbelievable thing for me 
was that she had had this like she got all these grants and these positions and she was getting all this research money and I was like well that don't fucking happen I have to say it is not just films about alchemy I feel like as a whole most films that that or or, or media that that kind of depict people that work in universities (laughs) are so so far from the mark and I think that it you know (laughs) most people that work in universities are not professors and most people are barely um on you know 30 to 40k um (laughs) never mind a permanent contract (laughs) I mean most people don't have permanent contracts research (laughs) you probably won't find young women professors in their 30s and I'm talking about in in a UK context so in a UK context um the the kind of career progression well the traditional career progression because it has been eroded a little bit you would normally start off as as a lecturer and then you would get promoted to senior lecturer um, which might take a couple of years and then you might get promoted to reader and then you might get promoted to um professor and that's usually like a 20 year career path yeah yeah so you yeah anyway she is (laughs) a lecturer researcher I mean, the fact that she's got research budget <laughs> when yep. most of us are only on teaching only contracts is wow. She also has a cameraman. Oh, who, of course. Who is filming a documentary about her. Yeah. Happens to me all the time. <laughs> and then there's her friend George, who is um, an Aramaic translator, also kind of hangs around like fixing old things and buildings. Um, so he really likes, you know, ancient language ancient languages and ancient buildings he's also her former lover um but he's also played by um ben feldman who yeah you might remember from superstore i love so, ben feldman <laughs> yes yeah so um also um this is not a fun fact this is just oh, a no. fact uh, ben so the the character george is very very claustrophobic and you know they they go quite deep into the catacombs and Ben Feldman is also quite claustrophobic. Now that you've told me Ben Feldman's in it, I do remember this film coming out because I yeah I yeah. Think it, I I remember him from like Mad Men and then he was in this like mm-hmm. very brief like the HC of us yeah. or something it was like a rom com and then he wasn't in anything for a while and that made me sad and this film came out and I think straight away I was like I'm not watching that because <laughs> I'm also <laughs> quite claustrophobic. I still want to go in the catacombs, yeah. but like yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so this this is the kind of this is the main cast. So so you have this uh, this woman academic, um, and her cameraman and her former lover, her Ben Feldman. Yeah, and then a group of um, locals who who you who you you know you you can assume they're not official tour guides, so they, they you know they regularly break into the catacombs um, and go into places that they're not they're not supposed to urban explorers yeah so you might be wondering like okay why are these people in paris um why what are they doing in the catacombs um <laughs> and what does this have to do with alchemy and nicolas Flamel? so yeah if you are thinking hmm, are they searching for the philosopher's stone then yeah that's basically what this film is about they are searching for the philosopher's stone which is lauren do you know what this is the Philosopher's Stone gives, is it eternal life or is it that it can create anything through alchemy? I can never fully remember because there's kind of yeah multiple imaginings of it, but it's supposed to be the, the pinnacle of alchemical production, isn't it? Yes. So this is, it's not the only thing that alchemists are um, trying to achieve or that they're trying to strive for, but it is as you say, it's the pinnacle of kind of like alchemical discovery. And essentially, it's a kind of um, stone or um, material that has two kind of uses. One, which is to create the elixir of life. So that is, it can grant you, I guess, immortality. So it's not, Mm -hmm. oh, yes, I'm immortal, you have to keep using the stone. And I mean, a lot of these records are very vague about how you use the stone. <laughs> this is alchemy all over, isn't it? <laughs> but you use it to create the elixir, which then you can increase your life and you can keep taking that. Yeah. But it also has another purpose. And that is that it can transmute oh. 
base base metals into gold so yeah if you're thinking what does that mean how is that useful and why would people want that it's basically if you have any like metal lying around any kind of metal steel whatever you could turn it into gold and we all know that gold is valuable so yeah it's basically immortality and riches and people were obsessed with transmuting something to gold yes because riches but Mm. also they thought gold had certain properties and this is why stuff like you know the Eldorado myth is so popular but yeah people Mm. were obsessed with being able to turn stuff into gold yeah yeah 100% so this film is basically about that that pursuit I guess from an academic perspective so Scarlett you find out is essentially continuing her father's legacy her father was also an academic (laughs) and he had spent his life searching for you know the the philosopher so that's why she's got that research budget oh yeah oh yeah yep 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 (laughs) (laughs) and yeah so basically the search in in the kind of beginning of, well throughout the film it involves like you know numerous clues and riddles and puzzles and they've all been hidden in various places some of which are in the middle east and and some of which are in paris and these also include flamel's headstone so flamel was an actual living person his headstone is in paris and yeah. Apparently, we'll get into more detail about this later, but yeah, apparently there are secrets hidden in his headstone. And in the film, they they show this and she is able to decipher some secrets that no one has ever seen before. And that's what makes her think, I need to go to the catacomb. Because she's got... Yeah, or, or I think she's just, you know, she's following up the leads that her father left and... yeah. So it's kind of like Indiana Jones, but make it horror. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Can I just... Are you going to mention Mammoth the Wanderer? I wasn't, no. But... Because doesn't that also partially take place in the catacombs in Paris? Um, no. Um, Does it take place in some catacombs? There's like a subterranean vault in Madrid. Ah, that's it. It's yeah. Madrid. Yeah. I was like, why does this sound familiar? That's why. <laughs> there we go. Because I was just mm. thinking, and my brain was like, mm, alchemy, catacombs. I've heard this story before, <laughs> but it was Madrid, not Paris. There yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically what follows is a very confusing and very, very claustrophobic descent oh, no. into the catacombs. Um, and as they go further and uncover more mysteries, things get spookier and hellish. So again, thinking about that kind of, idea of this being the nine circles of hell the further down they go the the more confusing it gets to the point where they keep get like they keep getting turned in on themselves say if you keep going straight but then suddenly you end up coming this way and you know you've not gotten turned around it's very much not even circular but just so so it's like this well there's that image isn't there of like the dante's circles of hell Mm. where they're like a spiral yeah. And that you can't escape the spiral yeah. no matter how much you try. And yeah, and it's also so if you think about the title as above, so below, it also gets confusing in terms of like going up and down and mm-hmm. are they going down, but maybe they're going up and it's just very confusing. That is my literal nightmare. <gasps> I would not I would not be doing this. I would not be doing this. And again, you know, Ben Feldman and George didn't want to go and they basically fought like kind of semi-fought him into doing it. Uh I'm like, oh, I, I feel for you, brother. Like that is that looks awful. Um but yeah, do they find what they're looking for? And just who is that mysterious Templar knight looking man who is seemingly <laughs> Templar, perfectly, perfectly preserved in a in a hidden underground tomb that no one has apparently seen in centuries. You know, and do any of them? Do any of them make it out alive? These are these are questions that I am not going to answer. You will have to watch it to find out, or Laura and I will tell you afterwards. <laughs> I will read the Wikipedia because that's yeah. what I do. Although, yeah, yeah an unaging temp. This is li- someone literally was like, oh, you know what? I really enjoyed Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Mm. I want to make it 70 times more horrifying. Yeah, yeah. Cool. He's literally just laid out on like a, it's, it's like a tomb. He's like on a stone slab kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, with his... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
know he's like I can picture yeah. it but I really loved that explanation yeah yeah sorry I, like with his sword sorry I realize um for everyone listening I was clutching a sword in that kind of death pose I guess yes the classic um, knight um, yeah arms yeah. in front yeah. sword held on the chest in in death's repose yeah but not yeah so that is that's the film and I basically watched this film and as someone who has researched alchemy and Nicholas Flamel I was like there's so many references here that I get um <laughs> that I want you, you know like oh yeah I was like of course it's in Paris because Nicholas Flamel lived in Paris and of course there's stuff in his headstone because like there's loads of like legends about his headstone and the the whole like rose cross kind of decipher thing like yeah. of course because this is all about so I just want to let you in to some things that I know about alchemy yay and maybe if you're interested you could watch this film if you want or you know just maybe go and see you know see what you can find in there <laughs> see what you can find about do like <laughs> I do read the plot yeah. on Wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> um okay so so yeah, moving on to alchemy, and this is a section that I've titled Alchemy 101. Um, Sweet. So yeah, it's not, obviously, I can't exhaustively like discuss the entirety of alchemy. It is still ongoing, and there's like centuries of tradition. Yeah, and like multiple different schools yeah. and regions and cultures. <laughs> this is just the kind of like, you know, intro to alchemy, as it were. So we've always already had mm-hmm. like a little bit, a little taster of it um, with, the, with the Philosopher's Stone. But but basically, alchemy is the medieval chemical science and speculative philosophy. And the aim of this study was the transmutation of base metals into gold, the discovery of a universal cure for disease, and also the discovery of a means for indefinitely prolonging life. And this, essentially, it's... So this is before the establishment of disciplines. So you don't have science with the three branches, you know biology physics chemistry and you also don't really have you know English literature or history or even just like the arts and you don't have any of that this was essentially a little bit of magic and occult and proto-science so in a way some of chemistry has come out of alchemy um but then there's also other kinds of stuff yeah I mean chem you know you've got that root word there like Mm -hmm. alchemical and chemistry but like you said universities exist Mm. across across Europe across Asia at this point but there's no discipline you learn religion and you learn what we would probably call now the natural Mm. sciences astronomy was a big part of that but the separation between astronomy and astrology science and magic theory and like reason that there kind of was none it was like well if we believe this thing is possible then clearly this thing could be possible so that overlap between what counted as science and what counted as magic was kind of non-existent the Venn diagram was a circle exactly exactly and you you would often have religious scholars studying this or something similar um or or you would have people mm-hmm. who maybe had religion on one side and they wanted to look into other aspects um on on the other side um it is a kind of ish medieval precursor <laughs> to chemistry it's the er uh, chemistry yeah but part of it also included what is known as the secret brotherhood of the rosy cross <laughs> the Rosicrucians. Yeah, so the this is basically an occult esoteric movement that yeah, that was mm-hmm. also known as like Rosicrucianism or the you know Rosicrucians. And it's basically a kind of um uh, a blending of like rose and, and cross. Um and yeah, this kind of centered a lot on the search for um the philosopher's stone and immortality and the ability to make gold um, and this is very much a european movement so this kind of um the 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 alchemy tradition that i'll be talking about and also nicholas Flamel, very much kind of european thing there are other traditions of al- of, of alchemy that exist across the globe but for the purpose of this video again because i just can't fit everything in um just the <laughs> just the um just the european tradition yeah and that's the one that largely influenced the gothic mm. 
because this might be a spoiler, it's also the one that's kind of connected to the Knights Templar yeah. and to Tales of Chivalry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess you think like where where did this all begin? Where did it kind of come from? And they can be traced back to loosely this this one German guy. Yo, um, apologies if I get this pronunciation <laughs> wrong. Um, Johann Valentin Andre. Sounds about right to me. Who was a Lutheran, th- yeah, a Lutheran the- theologian. And his family arms had the symbols of the rose and the cross. So it, it makes sense. This has kind of come from, from him. Um, and these are also really important kind of Christian mm-hmm. symbols because they have connotations of, you know, Christ dying on the cross where the the rose is also kind of symbolizing the yeah. blood that was that was spilt it, it being blood stained um and on obviously the, the cross and these kinds of symbols were used by Martin Luther himself as well so Lutheran theology professes that humans are saved from their sins by God's grace alone and also that salvation can be achieved solely through faith and this is also kind of really important to a lot of Rosicrucian traditions, that idea that we can discover the the mysteries of nature, but we can do it through mm-hmm. God. So there is, in this specific strand of, of alchemy, there is a, a very kind of, very key, like, undercurrent of um, kind of Christianity yeah. and, and Christian symbols and that idea, at least in the very beginning of, you know, that we're doing this, but also we're doing it through yeah. God. Um, and and through faith that makes sense because for a lot of a lot of scholars it's like where does god end and magic begin and if magic exists if you believe in witchcraft for example then there must Mm. be an alternative if you believe that witches are powered by satan then it, it makes sense that you might have like holy knights and christian science and it's it's kind of all part and parcel, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know, especially if you're reading the Bible. So it's, if you are someone who who is literate, you can read and and write, and and you've read the Bible. There's lots of stories mm-hmm. of of magic in there, uh, especially in you know what what we could call the the Hebrew Bible, with you know thinking of yeah. Moses and Aaron, and and they're kind of like um, you know magic off. <laughs> with with the, <laughs> the, the, the magic battle um, yeah but the reason the reason that that Moses and Aaron can turn sticks into snakes or can part the Red Sea is because they're doing it through God so there's this idea that yes you can pre- perform miracles or you know unlock the secrets mm-hmm. of mortality if you're doing it with with those kinds of goals and and through faith now there was also uh, of course you know physical documents tied to the this movement so in the 17th century in germany there were three really famous um, anonymous pamphlets that were published that have since been kind of deemed to be the rosicrucian manifestos so these included the <laughs> fama fraternitatis rosae crucis uh, or <laughs> The Fame of the Brotherhood of the Rosy Cross, which was published around um, 1614. And this was believed to have been authored by Johannes Valentinus Andre. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the person that we can trace uh, Rosicrucian ba- Rosicrucianism back to. Um, and this purports to kind of um, chronicle his founding of the secret brotherhood. I have to say, like, you know... <laughs> Is it so secret if you're writing about it in a in a document <laughs> in a pamphlet that you're then you know sharing and publishing? I am not going to speak my truth on this because we have an no. episode coming up where I'm going to really shit on secret societies. But this yeah yeah always gets me when they're like a secret society, and I'm like, how the fuck does it have a Wikipedia page? <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. Um, I mean, we'll come back to this as well, but I I do think it's interesting that <laughs> everything you read about this is like, oh yeah, this is just the secret brotherhood of the Rosy Cross, and you're like, <laughs> and this is the oh. publishing house, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is um, the manual. <laughs> so this is like, 
this is how I made the secret society. <laughs> it's literally like putting a sign up form on Google. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first rule of the secret brotherhood of the Rosie Cro- <laughs> of the Rosie Cross is that you must publish a, ma- a manifesto <laughs> detailing. <laughs> detailing all the secrets yeah (laughs) Um, okay so then there was a second one so the next year in 1615 we have the confessio fraternitatis um or sorry apologies for that um the confession of the brotherhood of the rosy cross and this was published in frankfurt again (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, you know, if I was starting a secret society, I wouldn't be keeping to publish Publish stuff. my confession. <laughs> but, you know, people are starting to, to notice yeah. and they're really interested in, in this. I mean, it's got mad Joseph Smith vibes. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't see them, but <laughs> we've done this shit and it's really cool. So then a couple of years later... A third manuscript um, was published, and this was called The Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosencruz. Um, Slightly different to the other two, but Andre did eventually reveal himself um, to be the author of, at the very least, this third one. Um, He wrote this in in his autobiography. And he also confessed that this third manuscript had originally been a romantic fantasy that he wrote. Um, before he was 16. Oh my god. <laughs> he's like, he's fucking Elrod. <laughs> 17th century Elrod Hubbard. Well, yeah, you say that, yeah. So so he he then, like, you know, in, in this um autobiography and later on in his life, he he called Rosicrucianism a parody. And he said that all three manifestos were hoaxes. So he called out the fact okay. that you know I've made this up this third one was based on like juvenilia that I wrote it was it was just for fun it was just a prank all of this kind of stuff so kind of hellfire clubby like oh yeah we're doing these rituals where we're calling on satan but are we taking it seriously really or is it just a bit of fun yeah yeah exactly but then that you know that does leave the question as to where does this leave alchemy mm-hmm. and rosicrucianism you know is it all made up like all that kind of stuff and some people did believe that Andre was telling the truth that, that it that it was all made up because of course you can't <laughs> create a stone that would let you you know transmute base metals into gold or to give you immortal life like that's obviously ridiculous is this part of Rosicrucianism or is this like potentially earlier or different but there's the whole thing as well about like homunculuses and creating mm. homunculus like creating human I guess they're like avatars aren't they like I mean when you say homunculus now it's a bit of like a horror trait where they're like tiny like deformed people but you know they were saying all sorts of wild shit that maybe in 1200 but not in the 15 and 1600s people were gonna but definitely not the 1600s yeah I mean I think it's difficult because a lot of the stories and the sources about Rosicrucianism emphasize the fact that it's secret and it's like yes here are like the main goals but we're also not really going to tell you a lot else and some of the societies that grew out of them or the people that have been um connected to them you know say that they also want to help society i guess it's a bit like golden dawn in that way then isn't yeah it? yeah i mean it's very it's very William Godwin St. Leon, which obviously is his kind of alchemy <laughs> um, story. But yeah, yeah so, so, on the, so on the one hand, you have like all of these people who are like, oh, okay, yeah, fine. It's a hoax. It's, it's made up. But, you know, this is, um, this is a tradition about secret societies. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's also about some really mysterious things, you know, the secrets of life. And also people, people like to think that they can get wealthy really easily. Um, so... As with all conspiracy theories, some other people suggested that actually Andre's like later kind of confession was actually a double bluff. And yeah, the stone is real, <laughs> alchemists walk among us, but in secret. <laughs> and, uh, I think it's just really interesting that like 
And I also, also think that it's really gothic because you have in this oh, yeah, yeah. You have in this creation, it's like, here's all of these documents and all of these stories and these real people and all of these claims. And you don't actually know what is what is genuine and, mm-hmm. and what is to be believed and what's not. And they've got people who are saying, yep, 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 you got me. I made it up. Are they telling the truth? Are they lying? I, oh, it's... Well... Dan Brown had to have something to write novels about <laughs> 600 years later. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, and I think, yeah, we'll talk about this more in your Secret Societies episode, but this is in large part where it kind of came from. Um, not all of Secret Society stuff is tied to the pursuit of the Philosopher's Stone, but I don't think you'd have as much Secret Society gothic novels, de- definitely, if it wasn't for... No, because particularly when we get to modern, and I'll talk about this next time, but when you get to modern ideas of secret societies going right back to Knights Templar, alchemy and an alchemy tied to Christianity is so... Things like the pursuit Mm -hmm. of the Holy Grail and the True Cross and the Ark of the Covenant and all of these stories. And it's like, oh yeah, there's the secret brotherhood who have been you know, protecting it for hundreds of years and this knowledge has been passed on and there's this mm-hmm. secret mystical art. And this is something that I think, I mentioned it earlier half joking, but mm. Discovery of Witches does this. It rewrites history and puts people like Shakespeare and Marlowe in as part of this tradition. And yeah, people are fascinated by it. It's this really appealing thing to think. And essentially what happens is, all the secret societies become meshed into one. So secret societies devoted to the pursuit of knowledge get meshed together with secret societies devoted to satanic rituals and, you know, the Hellfire Club and the Illuminati and the Templar and the Rosicrucians, they all just get smashed into one big boogeyman that is the secret society. Yeah, I, I, it's really interesting the way that they all kind of like, influence each other and are influenced by each other but then now when we look at mm-hmm. you know in the 21st century there's just like a weird like kind of amalgamation of like everything is a secret society as it were well exactly I mean have you ever been in a Free- <laughs> I know I talk about this all the time but have you ever been in a Freemason temple because the symbols on the wall are really really freaking similar yeah, to alchemical yeah. symbols and it's this whole thing as well it's like how how genuine should we take these groups because are they just is it just like a a kind of a hobby group where people get together and drink beer or is it something more um you know nefarious and well yeah and like to go back to our episode about the hellfire club they were using satanic Mm. and bacchanalian and dionysian imagery not because they believed that they were doing magical rituals but because they wanted to emulate what it suggested and symbolized so even though they didn't believe it they were still partaking in it and then it still meant that people could perceive it as belief and you know they were literally dicking about in the woods but they were doing it in masks with candles and latin chanting and all of the same you know sprinklings of aesthetic uh secret society goodness that have been popping up over the centuries where so where do you separate that because you know poor sally walking home from work if she sees that she's going to be like oh they're devil worshipping in the woods and conjuring yeah and from from someone on the outside it looks or it seems terrifying maybe or at least a little bit worrying if you you know imagine if you'd seen some of these manuscripts you you'd start to think oh are there is there this secret, mm-hmm. you know, secret mm-hmm. society that's maybe got more more power than they should? Um, but yeah, so what I think is really interesting, though, is that like you do have this trend of secret societies and, and especially out of Germany. So a lot of these pamphlets were were German. So you yeah. get stories like um, Frederick Schiller's The, the Ghost Seer, which is very much in that kind of you're not entirely sure what's happening there, but but maybe the events of the of the novel well, or the novella are down to this secret mm-hmm. society. But in al- in terms of alchemy um, and and the kind of influences there, a lot of the focus actually seems to be on individuals, individuals who are perhaps maybe part of 
you know, this this secret brotherhood and this, you know, this Rosicrucianism that exists as a collective, but they're very much kind of singular individuals. And that is where I think Nicholas Flamel is really interesting because he is probably one of the most famous and well-known of of these kind of legendary alchemical figures. And yeah, okay, so turning to Nicholas Flamel, Lauren, what do you know of, of, uh, you know, our good old friend Nick? Absolutely fucking nothing. (laughs) I don't know when he was born. I don't know where, Mm. I knew he lived in Paris, but I actually, Flamel is one of these people that I didn't even know Mm. that he was a real person. Yeah. Until I was in my 20s. And like you said, because of a certain boy wizard, a lot of people also thought and that he, you know, was a was a made up person. So, yeah, I actually I know a lot about like mm-hmm. the Philosopher's Stone and like the history of alchemy and, cause, you know, things yeah. like the Wojciech manuscript are often suspected of being alchemical. So, that's one of my favorite unsolved mysteries um so I've done a lot of reading about like alchemical Mm -hmm. symbology just because I find it really fascinating I've never actually gone who the fuck was Nicholas Flamel I've just like oh yeah Flamel philosopher's stone and I've left it at that it's really it's really (laughs) interesting I think (laughs) I feel quite bad I'm like oh shit sorry (laughs) sorry old dad only only interested in this stone <laughs> well if you also are thinking i would you know i don't know who the real who the real nicholas flamel is and then, then you know stay stay with us and yeah buckle, buckle up. up um okay so he was a 14th century french scribe he lived in paris as we've said with his wife mm-hmm. perinel um I, I don't know how you say that name perinel oh, that's a pretty name um yep yeah, and he ran two shops and basically what a scribe would do is he could read and write. So he would transcribe documents. He would write documents for you. He would um, maybe translate some things. Well, people used to pay scribes to yeah. like read their legal documents. Yeah. And, yeah. Like if they got a court summons or something, they'd like pay the scribe to read it for them. Yeah. So he's not, he's not like a, he's not like a Lord or, or, or anything. He's a, a regular man, but he is quite wealthy and the couple were actually famed for their wealth and their philanthropy. So they would often give money to the church in particular. They, they'd pay for statues mm-hmm. um, and they would just give to kind of local causes and things like that. Flamel died in 1418. He was in his 80s. So he did live quite a long time. Wow. Yeah, That's almost a full century. That's quite long for... So he basically saw almost the entirety mm. of... what? Did, when did you say he died? 1418. Oh, wow. So he saw like almost all of the 1300s. Yeah, yeah. And he actually designed his own tombstone. So you remember when we were talking about the film, Mm -hmm. I said, you know, the the tombstone is really important to alchemical legends. And he actually designed it himself. Um, Uh... And it very prominently features um, carved images of of Christ and also St. Peter and St. Paul. And I think you can still go and see. I think it's in one of the um, museums in in France. Um, but um, yeah, you yeah, you know, his his Nick and Pernell, you know, a lovely a lovely nice old French couple um, who owned a few shops and gave money to charity. Aww. Where's the alchemy? <laughs> you know, I'm sure I'm sure we're all thinking that. Um, and there is alchemy, but it's not really until the 17th century. Mm-hmm that we start to get these rumours. And basically there were all of these kinds of stories that like, did you know? Did you know Nicholas Flamel? He was actually an alchemist. And also a lot of people started to say, oh, you know, you know Nicholas Flamel? That 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 French, that French scribe? That one guy? <laughs> yeah. He actually found the Philosopher's Stone. These stories always massively exaggerated his wealth um he was apparently rolling in all this money um and there were also suggestions that his death had been faked and that actually he and his wife together were both still alive and they were taking the elixir of life so i mean in a way it's nice you know he's this nice french couple and Mm. i guess they're just vibing yeah enjoying immortality together oh it's cute that they were together i like that usually it's Mm. like they're like horrible people (laughs) yeah yeah 
and again, uh, you know, as with everything that's, you know, vaguely gothic, there's always a kind of manuscript involved. Yes. It's got <laughs> to be a found text. Yes. So in um, 1612, so this is almost 200 years after Nicholas Vermeil died, mm-hmm. There was a work that was published and it was called Livre de Figs Hieroglyphics. Yes, or, this is the one that I've been thinking of the whole yeah, time. The Book of Hieroglyphic Figures. Yes. And this is an alchemical work that was posthumously ascribed to Flamel. So this work was published and then everyone was like, obviously Flamel wrote this. So there would have been like rumours and stories circulating mm-hmm. before this, but somebody decided well I mean I say that somebody decided to write this this manuscript and maybe it was Flamel himself who who am I to judge (laughs) maybe but but probably not (laughs) the introduction of this work uh describes Flamel's search for the philosopher's stone um which was apparently his life's work you know this is 200 years after his death the first sorry when would this man have found the time (laughs) He ran two shops. Well, you know, there was no TV back then. <laughs> like, did he have a fucking time turner? Like, <laughs> sorry. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love mm. the idea that he did. And I'm not saying that it's completely improbable because he did have the like the knowledge and the means. But scribing's busy work, guys. It's busy work. Takes time. He did have a wife, though, you know. And I do wonder, you know, maybe <laughs> as, as with a lot of... Oh my god! Maybe she was the alchemist. Well, yeah. Or I was just thinking about you know labor in terms of specifically oh, yeah, married true. couples. Like maybe she was the one who ran the shops while he was off doing his alchemy stuff, doing his alchemy thing. <laughs> She's like, you better fucking find that stone because if I lived this life just picking up after <laughs> yeah. you and I don't get another one, I'd be pissed. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and also what we get in this kind of the introduction to this text is we get the claim that Flamel was in possession of another manuscript. So we have a physical manuscript that was published that is then mentioning another manuscript. And this other manuscript was titled The Book of Abraham the Jew. Of course. Yeah, well, it was thought to be a Kabbalistic text. Mm -hmm. So there is a little bit of overlap with um, Kabbalah and alchemy. We've kind of touched on this a little bit in our Golem episode. So yeah, if you're interested in that, then go and check out that episode. But for Formel though, it's said that he stole or took this book from the Jewish community in France. Or there's other stories that, you know, maybe he took it but paid for it. And he's alleged to have paid two florins for it. I don't know if that's a good deal or not. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to. I was trying to work out how much. I was trying to. I mean, how much is two florins in today's in today's money? And I got either ten p each or one hundred and forty dollars each. So either he paid twenty p, yeah, or he paid two hundred and eighty dollars. Yeah. Neither of those are a lot, I think, for a book of no. uh, such, yeah. such renown. And I think, please, if you know how much, um, you know, 14th century Florins would be worth, then please let, <laughs> let me know, because I'm actually quite interested in this. But yeah, I, I think I'd probably lean more towards the um, $280. Yeah. Because I think Florins would have been gold. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that like two Florins would have been two gold coins. Mm. You'd think. Yeah. But either way, he's got this book now. Yay, Yay. magic, magic, (laughs) Kabbalistic text. But there is a problem. Can you guess the problem? He can't open it. He can't read it. He can't read it. It's, it's all, it's all in um, languages and and symbols that he just can't understand. Was it the Wojciech manuscript? (laughs) Well, it's also just like, maybe it was just in Hebrew. Yeah, probably. Like, and I think... you would think that, I mean, again, this is not necessarily true. I'd be shocked if a 14th century scribe didn't at least know what Hebrew looked like. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. For whatever reason, and for whatever language or languages mm-hmm. or symbols that were used, he couldn't read it. Sucks to be him. And neither could his wife. So they went out and, and, and tried to find someone who could um, translate the book. And the other thing about this is that as well as these kinds of like 
strange letters. It also had lots of really enigmatic pictures. Yes. So it had a lot of like pictures that that featured a lot of serpents and and weird kind of things. It's really you know monsters and creatures and things. And it was just as well as like all of this like text, this wall of text that you couldn't understand and couldn't read. What do the pictures mean? So. He went out on this mission trying to find someone. He went all the way to Spain, couldn't find anyone. But then when he was in Leon, he found um, a physician who was a Jewish convert to Christianity. Of course. Who was like, oh, I can read this book, you know? <laughs> um, so he successfully managed to decode the book and he, you know, I don't know, maybe made like a code um, and, and, and gave this to Flamel. And then perhaps handily for Flamel, this Jewish convert then soon died. So <laughs> took his knowledge with him. <laughs> yeah. So um, died so, in yeah. completely normal and not mysterious circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Which then meant, you know, for this nice French couple, they could keep all the secrets mm-hmm. and, and the gains for themselves. So that is the kind of theory that is put forward by this text. Flamel as well as, you know, scribe by day, alchemist by night, finding out all these secrets. <laughs> when the fuck did he have time to go to Spain? <laughs> I'm just popping on holiday. <laughs> I don't know. Again, no TV and no internet back then. So I guess true, people had true. a lot more time. The equivalent of a quick Google search was in fact going to Spain and finding <laughs> yeah. a Jewish Christian convert. Yeah. So he, he then is successful and he not only has this super secret Kabbalistic text, but he's also managed to find the Philosopher's Stone, mm-hmm. him and his wife, now immortal, really wealthy, living up large, you know, living their best immortal lives. That is the kind of the legend. But there's also another theory about how Flamel got his wealth. So if you are maybe not buying the hot alchemy thing, <laughs> <laughs> other people have suggested that yeah, Flamel was never in possession of the Philosopher's Stone because obviously that's not real. Actually, he benefited from Jewish persecution in France. So as well as being like a scribe, you know, he was a he was a public notary. Mm-hmm. And during this time, there was a, a an expulsion of Jews from, from France and Jewish community deposited with him a lot of their money, a lot of their wealth. They had to leave quickly. So this theory goes that, you know, he said, don't worry, don't worry. I'll look after your money. It's safe with me. See you, bye. See you, bye. And then he just kept all the money. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> and also they probably did leave expensive books and he was probably like, oh, these are mine now. I mean, I think this is really interesting because I think either way, it's it's like entwining all these theories of alchemy and Kabbalah but suggesting that actually the secret knowledge is just stolen Jewish knowledge or stolen (sighs) Jewish wealth it's so closely connected to the whole crusader thing Mm -hmm. and the idea that the the Templar and the crusaders were actually discovering secret knowledge but no they were just fucking robbing people yeah yeah we should do an episode on the Knights Templar. We were absolutely going to do an episode <laughs> on the Knights Templar. I'll probably have to do two, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to have to be a two-parter. Don't get me started. <laughs> but support for Mel then. Basically, many people have questioned the legitimacy of this book. So the figures of, of hieroglyphics. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, again, you know, we have, it's all tied up in this whole idea of Gothic manuscripts and found documents and whether you can believe what you're being told. Is this a hoax or is it real? Does someone believe it to be real? You know, is, is Flamel maybe still out there? Nicholas Flamel, if you're listening. Yeah, why don't you? Email us at coolguys666 at gmail.com. Genuinely, Nicholas Flamel and... Um, and your wife, if you are listening, either or both of you, and you would like to join us as a guest <laughs> or guests, then we would love to have you. Um, so yes, yeah, please. get in touch. But yeah, at the same time, and, and I think after this after this manuscript was published, there was like a, a, a massive kind of increase in the numbers of people 
who apparently saw Nicolas Flamel. So you have all of these sightings across Europe, which just kind of seem to bolster the idea that, <laughs> yes, this man is around. He's he's everywhere. He's in Spain. He's in France. You know, he's in the West. Just like an old white man with a beard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> particularly in like the um, 18th and 19th centuries. Um, so yeah, it just really fueled the idea that Flamel was a successful alchemist and he does walk am- among us. And yeah, there's also like lots of other fictional works that have incorporated the legend in some way or referenced mm-hmm. um, Flamel. So I think The Hunchback of Notre Dame also has a really yes. famous reference to Flamel and an alchemy. Um, and there's also other books that kind of insert like cameo appearances from Flamel himself. What is the truth behind these stories? Reveal it. Are there secret societies out there devoted to discovering the secrets of eternal life and transmuting metals into gold? Is Nicolas Flamel still alive today? And just what is hidden in the depths of the Paris catacombs? If you have any answers, <laughs> thoughts or theories, or conspiracy theories, then please do get in touch. But yeah, I guess for now, all I have to say is that this mystery remains unsolved. Unsolved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so dumb, but also like, I. this is the thing. I mean, I will talk about this a little bit when we do mm. the super secret secret society that I'm going to talk about next time. But I do love the way that mythology around secret societies kind of grows up. And I do think it's one of those things that like the persecution and the outlawing of secret societies just fueled it. And if you think about it, like 1612, that manuscript, the hieroglyphic manuscript came out. You know what Mm -hmm. else comes around about that time? The Malaeus Maleficarum. King James is on his bullshit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is at a period of time where... And we said this, didn't we, about other stuff where the church, you know, we've talked, we talked about this with like demonology, the church legitimized the fears about things like this. So no wonder it grew to the way it did and no wonder. And there is a little bit of me that's like, I don't believe in, you know, alchemy. I'd love it if there actually was a secret society. Like, I don't think they found anything, but I'd love it if there actually was one. <laughs> and I think that it's also really interesting, you know, the the power of, of cultural, like, big cultural institutes, institutions mm-hmm. like the church, they almost have a kind of doubling effect in, in making something popular. Yeah. Because they, they say, on the one hand, this thing is bad. This person is a witch. This person is a demon. Or this thing is magic and it's bad. Don't go near it. Here's all the things you need to look out for. You know, women, sexy dancing or healers or, you know, men being weird or all of these kinds of things. But then on the other hand, you also have people in the church who go out and either start these things. I mean, this is tied to yeah. to, to Lutherism. Or you have people who are investigating the phenomena um, to you know, Don Augustine yeah. Calmet went out and, and wrote loads of books basically investigating witches and vampires and ghosts and the supernatural. And even though he concluded, I've investigated and found nothing, it still legitimised these phenomena. Well, it's like, if you believe that, yeah, Moses and Aaron fought sorcerers, that means they're sorcerers. And if you believe that a saint's relic can heal... Mm then it suggests that there are perhaps other things in the world that can heal because it's the same thing like we joked about Satan. You know, if you think that Satan exists and that somehow God is omnipotent and omnipresent and all the rest of it and Satan still exists, then there's the potential for bad magic, black magic, dark magic, which is where does, you know, can you, you know, can you take something that is used for ill intent and make it, part of a christian ritual you know there's all of this if you believe that you could touch a knuckle bone and be healed of your leprosy the world's your fucking oyster (laughs) let's be honest and i i think it is really fascinating the way that like it's all cause and effect but yeah i i had that feeling i was like in my head i think that flamel is early because i know that alchemy doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily a thing in the like 12th, 13th, 14th century, but that it's dated to it mm. and people overlap it with the Crusades. 
because things like black yeah. powder were just you know there were those big discoveries like black powder so I kind of was like I know that for some reason even though the rosy crosses aren't until later it's dated back but that makes sense now I understand the uh the connection between like the middle ages and the renaissance and the like 17th and 18th century I just think that it's really funny that everyone just kind of landed on this random <laughs> man and was like he's an alchemist <laughs> Like, and I've seen him. And Imagine that in, like, here's his book. 200 years' <laughs> like, time. They're like, Mary Going was an alchemist. <laughs> and you're just, yeah. like, I mean, rotting away in your coffin. <laughs> if anyone wants to start those kinds of rumours about me, then please feel free yeah, to Yeah, same. That. I'd like to benefit from them, though, and fuel them. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, what is the Girl Guide Association? Is it a secret society? Well, I was just thinking. You don't know. We don't know. <laughs> we had a secret society if yeah if we wouldn't, we wouldn't go about like you know advertising that the thing is though the 21st century equivalent of publishing a manuscript about your secret society is having a podcast this this podcast is not our secret society and you listening you are not part of it or watching this podcast you yeah you you're not part of this secret society at all like this this is not this is not what we're doing consuming our content does not make you part of the secret society and on that note before we spill any more um not secrets because obviously we don't yeah, have any secrets yeah. rain it, um, in. Rain yeah, it yeah. in rain it in uh, protect the secret yeah. <laughs> um yeah um this has been great. I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, if you, I loved it. Yeah, if you have any, if you've seen Nicholas Flamel, or if you know how to get in contact with him, if you are Nicholas Flamel, please get in touch with us. Um, tweet us, send us an Instagram, whatever. Um, yeah, message on whatever platform. You know where to find us. <laughs> We're the Girl Guides. Um, we are yeah. the Girl Guides. Until next time, stay safe and stay spooky. Stay safe and stay spooky. Bye. Goodbye, Nicholas Flamel. <laughs> or, a, or a ghost, maybe? Oh, yeah. Everything starts with a G. Everything does start with a G. That's good. Gothic, ghouls, ghosts, gremlins, goblins. Mm. Good food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take it. I was like, what food do we like that begins with a G? And I was like, geek, geek. Gumpling. Lucky? Yes. <laughs> gatto. Oh, yeah. Oh, fucking love a gatto. <laughs> oh, get a bit of Sarah Lee. What's what with the cheek? Anyway, this is not. This Gouda. Is not, is Gouda. <gasps> yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs>